Hi, I'm Mike Pickles, and you're listening to the Daily Deal Podcast, a show where you hear about inspirational and motivational stories from folks like you and I. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So welcome to another episode of the Daily Deal with Mike Pickles. And today we have an amazing guest. She's an award-winning Anouk singer-songwriter uh, winner of one, two, three June Awards. Please welcome Susan Adlugark. Hello. Hi. And is it Kanipi? Kanwitpit. Kanwitpit. Very uh, good, yes. I tried. I uh, I actually lived and taught in the Nunavut for six years. Okay. And where was that? I was in Akriet for one year. I taught at JHS High School. Yeah. I was in Chesterfield Inlet. And then I was in Rankin at the college for four years. Okay, so in the Kibalik region. Yes. Ah. So, so needless to say, it's a beautiful part of Canada. It is, yes. yes. So Susan, let's jump right in. How did you go from living in Akriet, Nunavut to being a major recording star? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a series of happenstances. I moved away from, I was living at the time in Rankin Inlet. Um, and I moved to Ottawa in about uh, mid-1990, late summer, early fall. I went to work for the federal government, so I was working as a translator um, with Indian, it was then Indian Affairs, mm -hmm. a one-year contract, and at the time, I had just thought, you know, just get away, change of scenery, change of things, um, and within, I would say about six months um, of that position, I had a great manager of that department, David Webster. And David was very open to ideas around communication. So communication at the time was different than communication now. We didn't have internet, we didn't have social media. Right. Communication meant literally communicating. We were, part of the job description was talking about Inuit history, culture and current culture of that time. Uh, around schools in the Ottawa area. So he was very open to ideas. What do we do to talk about and share this history? I brought to him an idea of um, introducing living between two worlds to finish high school. I went to residential school in Yellowknife. I, I spent a, a term in Iqaluit. Um, and both were fairly traumatic because it was leaving my region, Kibaluk region, mm -hmm. to finish high school. Um, in, uh, in the Western Arctic, which is a very different region from the Eastern Arctic. Long story short, uh, we ended up with this sort of documentary slash music video that uh, got on much music. And this is about six, seven months into my position with the uh, Indian Affairs. Um, one year contract, as I said. So after that one year, this music video is playing on much music. I had switched over to the Inuit organization. It was then called uh, ITC, uh, Inuit Tepiriksat of Canada, now ITK. Um, and, you know, from that music video um, was this introduction to a CBC Northern Services recording project. Uh, six poems became six songs were selected for this LP. <laughs> totally just dated myself. Nobody says LP anymore. Uh, but there I was on this Northern LP uh, CD. And 
just snowballed into other recording opportunities, songwriting opportunities. So within two years of moving to Ottawa, I had a music video on Much Music, a cassette tape. It was an LP project recorded for, for CD mm-hmm. and available on cassette. So I have all of this in my first recording and then the Arctic Rose album that followed. Um, and then it just turned into other things from that point on, just very, very fast. Okay. Speaking of songs, I mean, I know you have many, many great songs, but one of your most successful was uh, OCM. So mm-hmm. how did that come about? How was that written? Um, so the uh, Arctic Rose came out uh, shortly after the Christmas album comes out. And it was still a very uncertain time for me as an artist. And, you know, when you come as you've experienced and you've witnessed yourself living in these environments, they're fairly isolated regions, very isolated little communities and a completely entirely different world. Yeah. So the idea of um, pursuing a career in the arts was completely foreign to me. So Arctic Rose and Christmas album comes out, record labels start calling, and I'm just way in over my head at this point, 92. And, you know, it just really came down to the simple question, um, what do I want and what am I afraid of? So all of this kind of rolls into, let's try a record deal. I had my first manager and I just give it a try, see what happens. Um part of the early time was exploring uh, public speaking. And one of my first presentations was at a conference in Banff, Alberta. Met uh, several other presenters from the Coast Salish Nation. And this is now 1994, I have the record deal. And just learning and exploring and trying to figure out what does this really mean. And these gentlemen, two gentlemen from the Coast Salish Nation just kind of set the tone for the This Child album, because we were already writing for that first debut album, a okay. uh, major label debut album. And they just simply put in simple, more understandable terms for me at that time. This is not about one single story. This is about a larger story, the indigenous story mm-hmm. and indigenous story. OCM comes from their nation, the Coast Salish nation. And what it did and means is um, we are all family, we're all the same. Yeah. Um, so they, they gave me permission to use um, the language because it's not an Inuit language, it is their traditional language. And um, went back to the studio, I went back to my producer and I just said, here's a really great um, visual, a ve- really great concept, a First Nations concept. Uh, we started writing the song OCM and at the time, my producer, mentor, Chad Urshik, and I, we were just creating, you know, there was no, uh, no goal of a hit song, no idea of, you know, write for radio. I didn't know what that meant at the time. Just here's a great story. Here's a great feeling. Uh, Let's turn this into a song. And it turns out to be our first hit song. Yeah. Now today, are most of your songs in Inuktitut English or mixed both? Um, I, you know, it's, it's a mix of both, uh, almost every album. And I think actually every album has one or two entirely Inuktitut songs. Yeah. Uh, every album has some other language, some other indigenous Canadian language, um, because we travel a lot as, as one can imagine in the, except for now, of course, 
Um, and so we're introduced to some really great people and really great indigenous groups and some really incredible languages and words. So we turn that into a story or a song and always try to use the language in our song. So every album will have a different indigenous language in it uh, besides my traditional language of Inuktitut. Right. Now, before I forget, how can my listeners get a hold of you? <laughs> well, I'm actually very easy to reach. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, so um, my husband and I run the business together. So we're, we're, fairly, we're a fairly clearly a very small organization. organization. Yeah. Um, and it's as simple as going to the website, susanaglucart.com. My husband manages all the incoming email. Uh, and then he and I just sit down every morning and go through what's there and, and what do we do and can we squeeze it in. And it's actually really that simple. Okay. Just contact us through the website. Yeah. Okay, good. So when they reach out to you, they're speaking to you or your husband? Yeah, usually yeah. it's my husband. And okay. then he'll, just, you know, run something by me and then we'll respond together or he'll take care of it. Oh, that's fantastic. So not, yeah. they're not blindsided by some agent out there. No, no. Sometimes um, we have an agent. We're not exclusive with anyone. So I have a booking agent. I have a speaking agent. Yes. Whoever gets the inquiry gets the commission. So we have this fairly fluid relationship with all our agencies and everything is in-house or goes to them and we just roll with it. Okay. Now I know you've become a bit of an ambassador for uh, the Inuit people. So what projects are you currently doing or involved in? Um, there's a couple, um, the challenge of course, being the COVID crisis, this mm -hmm. pandemic we're in, um, the one I'm very excited about, well, two actually, um, the one I'm really excited about, which is an entirely art project is a possible production. So we were just, you know, literally signatures away from the development of what would have been a larger production piece. So, um, does this incredible work out of Nunavut, out of developing artists, actors, singers, poets, everything. Mm -hmm. They've developed some really great stage actors, Inuktitut speaking, all Inuit actors. So I, I, um, I've been developing this production piece for about 15 years, finally got Sheridan College here in Oakville on board, and we were going to workshop a portion of it to see if this concept will work. Um, so that's on the back burner till we know what's happening with COVID and what we can we can do in terms of working together uh, in person because there's just no other way to develop a production piece except in person. Right. So that's on the back burner, but that's going to happen. The other part that's been very, very busy for me is the Arctic Rose Foundation. And what we do through the Arctic Rose Foundation is... I believe very much in the theory of cultural cognizance, which is culture of crisis, not traditional culture, uh, the crisis of environment, not community. And the distinctions are very important in the work we're doing with the foundation. We introduce expressive arts and or art therapy. Uh, we believe, um, I believe uh, that we don't all need diagnosis mm -hmm. to know that we're in a mental health crisis, that we don't all need professional therapy uh, and so we're introducing basic mental health supports through expressive arts uh, with the Arctic Rose Foundation, addressing uh, culture cognizant triggers. So we know, for example, generational trauma is a real thing, thanks to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, we grew up in generational trauma uh, environments, our parents, our grandparents, and you would have seen that in, in your work in the Kibalik region. Um, only we know this because only we grew up in that environment. We're brought up by second, third, and fourth generation traumatized indigenous. 
So we must develop that work. Uh, and this is the work the foundation is doing. And we're creating the uh, therapies, uh, the mental health supports to begin to work and peel away at those, uh, those generational trauma pieces. Uh, and that's very exciting work we're doing. And it, it's a program that's expanding very, very quickly. But of course, due to COVID, we've had to do the um, kind of re redesigning how we're going to facilitate these pro programs, which we're doing right now. But those are the two bigger pieces that I'm working on right now. Another album, but that's, that's coming out in the fall as well. Yeah. Um, I originally come from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I got to be honest, it's changing today. But back in the day, there was very little said about residential schooling, the North, the Inuit people, Indigenous, Aboriginal, like almost nothing. Right. So when I went up to the North, you know, I've been learning lots about it, still learning, as you know, as you can imagine, because it's a long, long history. So I guess my next question to you is, if there was one takeaway or one piece of advice or two that you'd like Southerners to know about your world, what would that be? Um, I guess, I guess the, um, the critical piece would be, we do the work now in a presentation we call Correcting the Narrative. And our goal there, my husband's and my goal there is to leave an audience knowing that we've all been told the same story, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, those poor barbaric indigenous people. So my generation and the generation before me, um, our perception of our ancestors was, oh, those poor people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've all been told the same story. So my first challenge is always, at minimum, destigmatize. Let's not, not emotionally invest in the stigma of the Indigenous community. We must stop that. Um, you don't have to uh, necessarily um, subscribe to all Indigenous stories if you don't want to. At minimum, stop the stigma stop the whole, oh, they're, they're poor Aboriginal drunks. You know, those kinds of statements need to stop. Right. We know the context, we know the historical context, we know why we're in the situations we're in as in a crisis. So that would be the first challenge. Um, in that same presentation, correcting the narrative, we, we, you know, one of the things I've learned about my ancestors is their capacity to live, to love life. Um, and it's, it's still so strong. We hear about the, 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 the rate of suicides and the issues we're dealing with in our communities. And those are very, very real. And we are working through them and we are dealing with them. And in spite of this, um, the capacity to live and to love is still so strong uh, among the Inuit people. And this comes from our ancestors. Um, and so, um, we're investing in correcting that part of the narrative. Who were they? And why aren't they part of the education system? And if they're not, let's do the work ourselves uh, and put this in some, uh, whatever platform we're working with, let's put it out there. Tell the truths of our ancestors, these brilliant, brilliant people. I like opening my, my keynote, the correcting narrative piece with this video clip of a documentary that was done in 1923. So the early years of um, filmmaking, let alone documentary writing, filmmaking, black and white film. And all you see is the scene of an Inuk man uh, kayaking to the, to the shore 
And so you see him come clear to the shore towards the camera and he lands on the shore. He steps out of his kayak and he makes secures the kayak so it's not going to wander away. Next thing, his child comes out of the kayak. His wife comes out of the kayak. A puppy comes out of the kayak. And you realize in this single scene, um, the brilliance, the design, the engineering, the physical strength, it would have had this, this man needed this core strength to balance his kayak with his entire family and their pet puppy in the kayak to not tip over and to get to the shore. So all of these things are introduced in this two minute scene. And that's the beginning of the correcting the narrative piece. We weren't just simply wandering. Our ancestors were not just wandering. They made a brilliant life on that land. They claimed it by making it them and it making them. Just these brilliant pieces need to be told to ourselves, to our children, and to anybody who will listen. They were brilliant people. They weren't barbaric survivors. They were beyond that. So just, you know, these kinds of things we're sharing now. We have the duty, now that we know, to share these stories. So those are the things that we're doing uh, right now to correct the story, to correct the narrative. Um, and to live from the real place as indigenous people, our respective traditional places. Wow, very powerful words. Interesting, mm. you said that kayak. I like how you say kayak, by the way, how you pronounce it. <laughs> kayak. When, <laughs> when I lived in Chesterfield Inlet, uh, they have a heritage fair every year, kind of like the science fair. And yeah. they're very well known for building, the students building the kayak. And they would explain, mm. video it, film it, describe it, draw it and they would go to the heritage fairs and they won many, many, many awards because, because of the story behind it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so there's groups of Inuit in the Kipalik region. Um, are the people of the saltwater sea. So they would have been the creators of the kayak. They would have been, my father was from that people, Chesterfield. Yes. And they could, they, they could navigate any body of water in that region. They knew that inside out. Yeah. So where are you currently living? Oakville, just west of Toronto. Oakville, okay. So do you go back home very often to visit or check in? I do. I'm home um, every month that we were able to. Uh, we haven't been back to Nunavut. I would say the last time was in January. Uh, in February, we were um, dealing with foundation stuff in Ottawa. So mm -hmm. the whole team was uh, was working. And then, of course, all travel was restricted as of March. So we haven't been able to go north since March. That's right. uh, but we've been, when, when we can travel, we're home every month, whether that's in the Kipadnuk region or some other community in Nunavut. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, because I know you're busy, but you guys sort of get together, you, you celebrities, I want to say you superstars. Like, I know when I was in Rankin Inlet, Jordan Tutu, hockey player. Like, do you guys sort of meet together, all the superstars, I want to say, from the north? Um, when we do, uh, it's never planned. You know, of course, travel in the north is incredibly yeah. prohibitive, right? It costs so much money to go up there. So we've never just, I've never been able to just go yeah. on my own for a personal visit, um, unless there was a family emergency. Um, so we hardly ever plan gatherings. Um, so when we do occasionally end up uh, meeting someplace together, it's often at the Rankin Inlet Airport for those of us from the Kibalik region. And it's yeah. a great, it's a great get together. Yeah. Um, that's a great place for people to meet up with each other. Um, some of my favorite um, happenstance gatherings has been with Fanny Gunyak, who was our or foremost our singer-songwriter from Akvet. Um, 
I bumped into him in a restaurant. So of course, when you get together, you catch up with each other. Um, you know, they're not planned, but they do occasionally happen. And they're yeah. pretty awesome. You know, the ones I visit with, you know, will visit often uh, and plan them is, is friends like Ted Nolan, because they live in the area. So we'll get together with him and have a coffee or have a lunch with him and his wife, Sandy. Um, but for Northerners, it's near impossible. We know we were very lucky if we bump into each other uh, on our respective visits or trips home to our respective regions and communities. Yeah, I remember those days when we were flying to Iqaluit from Rankin. Usually there's a storm on one end or the other. We end up in Baker Lake or you, know, you end up somewhere else. So you, you yeah. miss each other, even though you're, you're planning to meet up, you don't. Yeah, it gets scary when, you know, you can get stranded in one community because a fog rolled in for five days. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's, it, at the same time, it's great. I mean, in the South, you know, we always like have an agenda, go, go, go. We're up there. You just go with the weather. You just go with, you have to. Yeah. You just go with the land. Yeah. So most of our team are our creative team. So we deploy artists, Inuit artists once a month to our, uh, our partner communities. And everybody understands the challenges. So we say, okay, so you're going to go work for five days, give or take two to four days, depending right. on weather. So right. we budget for nine days, but you're going out for five days. And everybody right. knows this going up. They're like, okay, we don't care. We just want to get up north and visit family. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, different approaches. Different approach, but a great approach. I like that approach. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will. I know you also do, or I think you do throat singing? No. Oh, I thought I I've that. tried. I've huh? tried. My mom is amazing. My mom gets it in a heartbeat. I've got a couple of sisters who get it. I just don't have the gift of that. I've tried and I just can't get it. <laughs> oh, so yeah. what, what is it you think that you can't get? Like what's, what's the piece? Well, so I've watched Tanya on, on YouTube and I've tried to learn through one of her, her, her courses online. Yeah. And the lessons there are pretty incredible because you have to combine um, uh, a circular breathing and then you have to work with the back of the throat, which when you speak the language you get anyway, yeah. But this the breathing and this back of the throat exercise com combination, it's pretty tricky. I mean, yeah. if, if you get it, you get it. It's just one okay. of those things where I just can't get it. And I don't okay. know why I can't get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my, that showed my ignorance. I thought because you speak the language and you're a singer, you can do it. But no. <laughs> it's a, it's a different skill. Yeah. Well, I can't either, by the way. But yeah, it's a, it's a different skill. All right. So before I let you go, because I know your time is precious. What's next for you? What's next for Susan and Lukark? Well, you know, what COVID has done for me is it's really forced me to take the last four months and really hunker down and work on my own uh, recovery program. So I've, I've done bits and pieces of it all throughout my career, but I've written this over the last 20 years. Um, and so I finally posted it on as an e-course on Coursecraft. So we did, we're, we're, we're doing our first trial month in July. So we've done our third week. It's every Monday that I post a, an art collage piece that is also a writing piece. So people who participate um, are challenged to write and collage and work through some, our issues or, uh, you know, the things that, that um, we've experienced. Um, so it's been in the back burner for me for a very long time, but I knew that I, w I wanted to do this at some point in my life. Um, so the last four months, I finally put it together. Uh, and so that's, that's currently what I'm 
new project developing. All the other projects are ongoing, the production, the foundation, the album comes out, but this is a new one for me. Uh, so that's the piece that I'm, I'm currently uh, putting together a little bit at a time right now. It's, it's, you know, it's a challenge, but I really believe um, we know we know what we need to do and we know how to do it differently. So I, I have to practice that belief. I have to put that practice to something practical for them to try out. And so I'm, not, I'm giving that a try right now. Okay. Well, I wish you nothing but the best. And so, and I, I completely appreciate and I'm thankful and grateful for you giving me this time because I know you're very, very busy. So I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. So when I say thank you, it's Koyanami. Koyanami. Yes, Matna. <laughs> yes, I almost forgot about that. Matna. Much easier. <laughs> yes, it is a lot easier. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. So, but in all honesty, I, I thank you because I know you're a very, very big, uh, busy person. And I wish you nothing but the best with your projects and your singing and your songwriting and your your other, uh, and, and as a speaker and ambassador, and you do workshops. I mean, you're doing a lot right now. Yeah, we're busy. <laughs> yeah, you're very busy. So thank you very much. And I wish you all the best. All right, thank you, Mike, for uh, rolling around with this. And it was a, a bit hard to land on a time, but we were able to do it. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you did, be sure to subscribe and share with your family and friends. And remember, you may be given a cactus in life, but you don't have to sit on it. <laughs>